Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I'll be sharing with you the astrology forecast for March 31st to April 6th. And this was a video that was on YouTube. You can find it there as well as in written form at monarchastrology.com. And before I get into the forecast, I'll just share a personal update for a moment. Um, I'm in Portland. I just got here this week and I'm really loving it. I, I actually was having a hard time finding a house, so... I had emailed my mailing list, segmented it to Portland, and found a temporary spot to stay based on my readership. And the person I'm staying with is really cool. And I actually, I just kind of feel like I'm living in like a novel or something like that. (laughs) Like I just read a lot of novels, I feel like, that took place in previous centuries where a writer was traveling and they were like renting a space in a city or something. And that's kind of like the vibe that I'm feeling. And if you, um, listen to the last episode, I share the first two chapters of my forthcoming fiction novel. And I really just feel like a literary energy in the Pacific Northwest. There's something about it, something about the culture, something about my astrocartography, I've always been a writer, but it was actually in Washington state that I studied writing in college. And I just had so many experiences up in this part of the world that inspired my writing. So I'm really happy to be back here. And another thing I want to share is that I was finally able to re-download Audacity. And so If you've been hearing the audio on this um, podcast glitch sometimes or get kind of like warbly, um, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. And I'm really excited about that. And another thing, Magic of the Spheres is turning three on April 5th. And I would really love it if you would help me celebrate this occasion by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can take a screenshot of that review and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com and I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. This library has several hours of content, videos, lectures, that kind of thing about the intersection of astrology and manifestation. And even if you don't want the free gift, Even if you just love this podcast and you want to help me celebrate its third birthday, I would really appreciate your support. I'm going to try to think of something celebratory to do. um, And, you know, I'll announce that on social media. So go and find me on Instagram as well at Sabrina Monarch. One other thing, I would love to meet some people in Portland who I might not know who are doing things in the spiritual arts and personal development who you think might be amazing guests on this podcast, feel free to um, send me a message or send me a DM with recommendations of who I should get to know, who I should have on this podcast, who you'd like to hear from. And I'll get into this week's forecast now.
this is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com bringing you the astrology forecast for March 31st to April 6th, 2021. And I'm so excited to be back. I took off last week to move to Portland and I'm here now. I'm continuing to look for housing. But anyway, let's get into this week's astrology. Um, we just came off a full moon in Libra. And we're deepening into Aries season and this new spark, this new emergence of life is among us. Meditating on the combination of transits this week, which we'll get into in more depth in a moment, it appears to me that the process of welcoming in new life, so new developments in our inner and outer worlds, if not literally new life, but you know, thinking about what the spring symbolizes, it's like the hatching of little baby chicks, you know, it has that, um, baby fertility kind of like new, new life energy. And this is metaphorical as well in terms of that rush of new life that we get in Aries season. And in along with this, we may also have to be letting go of limiting thinking or limiting emotional patterns from the past. Sometimes these things just fall off naturally on their own accord as inspired by new life, right? Like when you are so inspired by the new that you are ready to just leap into it and give up what you need to give up. Is the new, however, not in some kind of dynamic tension with the past? There can be mixed feelings here, liberation and grief alike when we move on. In my own experiences of working through grief, I've learned that there are both things I can do to usher along the process and metabolize the grief, and that my body and my psyche may have a rhythm of its own that is not really mine to control, but mine to be humbled by and to surrender to. And that's not the typical Aries attitude. (laughs) Aries is I can do what I want when I want, and I'm just going to do it. And when I'm looking at the combination of transits, I feel a little bit of dynamism here in terms of that life affirming, I can do this energy. Plus, you know, what is it that we are liberating from when we decide that we're just going to go for it? What are we separating from? You know, and back to this idea of grief and getting out of grief, I'm probably not alone in favoring the upswings. I love being on the up and up. (laughs) I don't know about you, but it's nice to have good news to report, to feel alive, to feel stoked on life. Um, I definitely feel in that space right now. Like I'm, I just moved to a new place and I'm so excited. And I followed a intuitive pull that I felt in my soul and feeling all these synchronicities here. And I just love this time of year, you know? So I love being in that. And I feel distressed when I start to feel like I'm being pulled under by an event uh, that I'm having difficulty digesting or accepting or feeling pulled under by an emotional riptide that I can't shake off. 
this week, Venus and Aries joins asteroid goddess Ceres, an asteroid relating to the mysteries of the seasons, the mysteries of the descent, and the deep embodied trust that we gain in ourselves when we watch ourselves come through the cycles of life again and again. Sometimes a narrative tale may cut off at here's a tragedy, it's sad, heartbreak, the end, you know, and sometimes we fear that this will be our lot. You know, will I ever recover? Will I come back from this? But there is also the reality of descent and renewal of the heart. We're looking at Venus and Ceres, and I'll talk a little bit more about Ceres as we get in here. Um, you know, this quality of losing hope and finding hope again, of feeling disconnected from ourselves and then finding that connection again, feeling separated from our, you know, juicy life force to feeling back in touch with it and feeling complete. What would it be like to really trust that cyclical nature of reality? Consider if there are places your heart is feeling rekindled this week. And if anything you encounter sets an ember back aflame. You know, is it a character that you see in a film? Is it a person that you know? Is it something that you just hear in the air on a podcast? You know, whatever it is where you feel a spark and you feel it awaken a part of you that's ready to shake off the winter sleep and emerge. And if you do feel wintry and not so much fire being lit, can you feel into a deep approval for yourself and trust of where you're at? These processes connect us to the seasonal mysteries. So before we get into our week in more detail, I'm going to share my screen for a few announcements. One, um, you know, I didn't mention that you may be listening to this on Magic of the Spheres podcast because I do also share this. Um, I share this on YouTube and on the podcast. Um, so that's another way to stay in touch with me. You can also find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch and the link to my mailing list will also be in the notes. And that's a great way to stay in touch with me and find out about my upcoming course offerings or when my astrology readings open and um, generally just stay up to date about all that's going on here. And my evolutionary astrology intensive is coming up. This will be the eighth run of this course. And it just keeps being such a rich experience. Um, we'll start again, May 10th, 2021. This is a deep dive into understanding soul-based, karmic-based astrology. Evolutionary astrology utilizes Pluto and the lunar nodes on a technical level to gain some meditations and reflections and insights on the nature of a soul's ongoing evolution. What did you bring into this life? What is your dharma or purpose in this lifetime? We explore the archetypes of the zodiac signs, the planets. We get deeper into aspect and aspect theory and planetary phases. We learn how to put it all together and we culminate by reading our charts in class. Um, the modules are pre-recorded and we meet live as a group every week. 
Um, it's really been an amazing community experience and it's just always so profound, like who gathers and, you know, who's drawn, you know, if you're feeling yourself drawn, imagine who else is feeling drawn to study this vein of astrology. Um, quite interesting, sincere, introspective people. So I'm going to leave some notes or not some notes, a link to the course page in the notes. And you can read more about the course and read student testimonials there and enroll. Enrollment is open. And I'm very excited to announce that I have a special reading of the Garden of Sleeping Hammers up on the podcast. I'm reading the first two chapters of my forthcoming fiction novel. Um, just so completely excited to share this with you. And um, you can just listen to it, listen to it on the podcast. Um, I come from a background of fiction writing and poetics. And for years now on, on the internet, I've been sharing mostly astrology content. So it is really exciting to me to kind of reach into my roots and start to share something that I actually finished, you know, writing this quite a while ago. And um, it was a very, you know, is still a very important project to me. And um, something that I really put my heart into. So um, I'm really excited to share it. Okay, so those are my announcements. And I should also mention for those of you on YouTube, please like and subscribe and leave a comment at any point to let me know what you resonate with or if you have any questions or thoughts you want to share with me. If you're listening on the podcast, um, please leave a five-star review for the podcast. And if you take a screenshot of that review and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality, several hours of lecture content about astrology and mysticism and reality creation, the, you know, the type of creativity that, you know, as a creative writer, for example, I started to notice that it's like the things that we're writing about or reading became synchronistically apparent to me in my life outside of my craft. So there was this direct magical connection between my thoughts and my reality. And I've woven a lot around that since then of learning how to engage the the karma of the word and the patterns that we create with language and with our routine emotional states to create abundance, to create well-being, to um, change the direction of our most entrenched patterns. Um, I've thought a lot about it and I work a lot with like the fixed signs of the Zodiac in this capacity, like Leo, Aquarius, Taurus, and Scorpio when it comes to reality creation, or I've been calling it lately vibrational magic as well. Um, but anyways, if you review the podcast, that's a gift that I'll share with you. Uh, just send me the screenshot of your review. Okay. Let's get into our week. So March 31st, 2021, the sun in 11 degrees of Aries will sextile Saturn in 11 degrees of Aquarius at 2.04 PM Pacific. So in traditional astrology, the sun is exalted in Aries and Saturn is also at home and well-resourced in Aquarius. The sextile is also a supportive aspect. These planets are like working together. So we have two well-dignified in traditional terms, uh, placements harmonizing with each other. 
And I make the distinction, you know, traditional because I'm a modern astrologer. I'm an evolutionary astrologer and I didn't work with essential dignity or anything like that, or, you know, malefics, benefics, any of that terminology until maybe like around a year ago when I started learning about it. So I like to make the distinction because I do see it as a lens, like it's a lens that you can have a good relationship with. Um, or maybe it's not the lens that's totally right for you. You know, I feel like working with terms like exalted or fall or detriment didn't serve me at the beginning of my astrology practice. So I just like to preface it that way so that we were, we're being interpretive here and we leave room in that way. But of course, when we're talking about exalted and domicile and it's all good, um, I don't mind <laughs> getting into that. And certainly, you know, looking at the sun in Aries and Saturn in Aquarius, and pst, I totally have that placement. <laughs> so I thought it was fun to write about. Um, they are, you know, exactly sextile in my chart and I'm being unprofessional, <laughs> excuse me. But um, yeah, this placement was fun to write about. So let me share with you what I wrote. Sun-Saturn contacts generally speak to the possibility of the light being blocked out. So Saturn suppressing the solar quality or the light being facilitated and bolstered by some structure or container or form. Also Saturn. Saturn works this dual way and it often relates to our consciousness and how we engage Saturn or is are we engaging the Saturnian principle in an oppressive, tyrannical, self-oppressive way? Or are we creating a space and a container for something to grow, for something to thrive? The light can be blocked out when we forget what brings us joy, when we are beset with grief, when we overwork and overtax the body and our inner resources without replenishment or rest, when Sun-Saturn is a strong signature natally or is an event by transit, we might need to bring consciousness to how we practically facilitate the experience of light and happiness even. As a metaphor, consider the effort it takes to prepare a picnic, to cook and prepare the food, to pack the bags and perhaps a car, to find the location to set up and so on. But once you're there, the experience is not just being outside, but you're being outside with an intention and a purpose and a container that is the picnic. Sun Saturn does similar things for happiness and well-being. So it may be a kind of happiness that doesn't just come magically on its own, but is the positive consequence of effort. The sun in Aries is quite energized here and potentially motivated to endeavor upon creative acts for work and pleasure alike that require some amount of work to be initiated. So in short, what does it mean to create happiness that requires a little bit of effort? I sometimes wonder if we think that happiness and lighter, frothier emotions, pleasure, etc should just be available for free, you know, which they are in a sense, um, but that they should just happen that they, you know, and if they, you have to work for them, that it isn't real or, you know, don't, don't not play only until you've finished your work. So we've really kind of, 
uh, have this dualism between work and play that goes deep in a lot of different directions. But personally, as someone who has worked to overcome depression, to rewire my brain, an intentional process of like rewiring my brain, um, I know what it's like to put in the work to change my resting mood and to be a happier person. Um, or to, you know, eat well and exercise. Maybe I don't like doing it at first, but then I get used to it and I like the endorphins, you know, things like that, where you do have to put in a little bit of effort. And if you don't, it just can look like a static state or like a resting baseline that's at a kind of low level. And so finding what are the practices, what are the things I can do to engage in my life that create a greater sense of happiness. Another example could be being more of a truth teller, being more authentic. In some sense, that is work. It's work to know who you are and it's work to be in integrity with who you are such that you represent yourself accurately in situations where maybe something is against your preference. And instead of pretending like it's all fine and it's good and I'm easy and I'm, you know, whatever. No, like you say how you feel in that moment. You take that personal risk that might be going against the grain of your past and your personality, but it can construct a happier life, right? So just thinking about where it is that you put in the engagement for the solar quality, for your solar well-being. And then as for grief, sun Saturn contacts can also relate to the creation sun of ritual or ceremony. Ritual is a form of serious play. Think about that. Serious play. That allows us to mark occasions, cross thresholds, and create transformation. You know, simply when you walk through a door, if this is fun for you, don't make it neurotic. <laughs> walk When you walk through a doorway, try the practice of deciding what energy you're going to cross the threshold with and make a, a little game or a performance of it and see if you can, through that simple act of making walking through a doorway meaningful, experience a sensation or make a game out of it. Like that is magic. That's practical magic right there. Ritual is a source of joy, perhaps when it comes to celebration or just enjoying the quality of a ritual. You know, if you like that ceremonial feeling, and it's also ritual is also a comfort when the ritual can hold an experience that is just too much to bear um, without some level of container and dignity. You know, like we um, I really do think that ritual creates a space for digesting experiences that are too much for the psyche or too much for the body to really hold without that extra container. And. Arguably, you know, we could have these feelings, but if we don't have the container or the space for them, we might suppress them because it's too much to deal with without the proper container um, or we kind of numb ourselves to them. So ritual can really be a powerful way to um, to move energy that, you know, needs the right uh, needs the right space. And if we want to think about the imagery here of Aries, Aries is like the seed and the seed literally sprouts when the conditions are right. 
So you can think about these kind of innate potentials within you or within your body or within your psyche that can sprout, can take life um, or take like a a life of their own, um, can be embodied when we set up some conditions. And this is a game with Sun Saturn. Saturn and Aquarius may relate to an intelligence that recognizes patterns. Saturn and Aquarius is like a magical futuristic architect. The sun in Aries is pretty game for life in general, um, but also for self-expression, the assertion of will, courage, and feeling like flat out the right to exist and take up space. Aries is very individualistic. But this is also the source of Aries generosity and goodwill to others in the world. After all, don't you love the people you love for them being just exactly who they are? Have you not benefited from countless inventors, artists, teachers, etc., who were so themselves that they ended up contributing something unique to society that meant something to you? Personal embodiment of one's inner essence is really a gift you know, not just to ourselves, but to others. Keeping these things in mind, consider this week if you have some opportunity to take your creative expression seriously, because we're talking about Saturn here, and to be yourself as your most important cosmic assignment. One form of the light being blocked with this alignment, Sun-Saturn, could be to not be oneself as a way to fit in with community or society, when equally one could be themselves and fit in with like-minded people. But one has to give up codependency with the false community to which we justify not being ourselves in order to be liked and included. We naturally feel depressed when we are not living in, when we are living inauthentically, or when no one sees the true version of ourselves. You know, that light is being blocked from an internal sense of, you know, this is not allowed. And that will be mirrored by the judgment of others that we collude with because we don't give ourselves permission for that very thing that we're being judged for externally. Likewise, we tend to feel so much enjoyment and vulnerability really from being genuinely reflected in this life by the people that we like and admire and to feel met by our peers. And then on April 1st, 2021, Mercury in 26 degrees of Pisces will sextile Pluto in 26 degrees of Capricorn at 11.04 PM Pacific. There may be some higher and deeper inspiration at play here around creating and circulating ideas, which at some level, help us evolve. Mercury, Pluto, like evolutionary ideas, ideas that help further survival even. Let's consider the complexity of soothing ideas. Clarissa Pinkola Estes says, the difference between comfort and nurture is this. If you have a plant that is sick because you keep it in a dark closet and you say soothing words to it, that is comfort. If you take it out of the closet and put it in the sun and give it something to drink and then talk to it, that is nurture, end quote. So mental complacency under this transit, which is the equivalent of 
um, keeping the plant in the closet and saying nice things to it. Uh, and it can look like a thought form that's, this is just the way it is and it's okay. And it will always be this way. You know, this is a possibility. As a slight difference than complacency, accepting our current state is a door opener for change because we stop resisting and kicking and screaming, basically. And we make room for some peace, calm, still, quiet movement in that surrender, something to naturally bubble up from the void that we can't hear when we're fighting. Not that the fight is bad, you know, but you know what I mean, where it's like you have that nagging kind of pattern or problem or conflict and you can flail and kick and scream and nothing changes. And then sometimes you just surrender and accept it. And then the wisdom and the change naturally bubbles up. It's like an energetic mystery to tap into. Maybe you're the kind of person too, who, if you think so hard, you're trying to solve a problem or something and you sleep and you have the answer in the morning because your subconscious figured it out. So perhaps, you know, this pattern, you've been able to make deeper changes in your life after you accepted the issue at hand, but not necessarily while you were in intense resistance to the issue. So I would suggest, you know, back to this idea of mental complacency to not use your mental creativity to rationalize why pertinent issues in your life are just the way that they are. And they'll always be that way. And it's okay. That borders on complacency. The mind does this for its own security, not only as a problem, not a problem anymore, but now we can also just not make any changes because everything's okay. It's different to acknowledge with sharp razor clarity, this is where I find myself and I am in full acceptance of myself. And sit with the tension that is an opening for a new idea or vision or action that would actually change your life and bring greater alignment. Now, not to be complicating this too much, but there is also a side of me that knows this kind of energetic magic that for the person who is always scanning for problems, everything's a problem. There's like a hypervigilant pattern or, you know, just a sense of really fixating on what's wrong all of the time and like picking for problems and picking at oneself that um, if that can be quieted and if there can be a kind of acceptance of all that is and a, a tuning into the vibration of fundamental okayness, it actually kind of um, opens the space for like miracles. Um, as someone who practices like vibrational magic and thought work and things like this, um, it's always a really complex navigation between when to problem solve and when to probe and investigate and when to surrender and trust and enter into a higher vibrational state or a peak experience state or like a positive frequency or something. And from that magical place, tune into the type of consciousness that would either make the original problem I was fixating on irrelevant with higher perspective, or it just kind of dissolves on its own. It can happen that way. Um, you know, or you gain a type of insight from that higher state that allows you to go back and make a positive or constructive change. 
Um, so it's not a one size fits all situation here, but just thinking about mental magic, mental resistance and diffusing mental resistance and what happens from that place. And I think that there's a difference between surrender and that opening or that receptivity within surrender for some kind of change or some kind of bubbling up from the void versus complacency, shutdown, this is just the way it is, story over kind of thing. My heart just hurt a little bit <laughs> thinking about it that way. Um, that's like, yeah, cynicism is not one of my favorite frequencies. If you don't have the energy to address a problem, it can be compartmentalized, but there is power in knowing that you are doing it and doing it consciously, right? Like, um, even uh, homes, the house teaches me this where the house is never in a state of perfection. There's always a mess or a new mess being formed, always maintenance and chores. And you can focus on one thing in the house or one part of your life while another part needs attention. And you can consciously know that you're compartmentalizing it and apply your focus to the other thing. And compartmentalization is another complex topic. Like it's not always healthy, right? But it is also useful sometimes, or it is also necessary sometimes. And all I'm saying is to draw a distinction between unconscious compartmentalization, where you put something away in a box, but you're kind of hiding that from yourself versus when you know that you're putting something aside and you're going to revisit it and what relationship you have to putting things away and coming back to them with compartmentalization. Pluto and Capricorn thoughts here and Mercury and Pisces, which tends to get overwhelmed by too many details. It's a flooded kind of Mercury. So on the one hand, like there's a lot on our minds and there's a charge to Mercury Pluto and the recognition of this is what I can handle right now. This is what I can process right now. And this is what I'm going to work on later. But just knowing, just witnessing that. There's often a part of the cycle of transformation where we are burning off an old pattern and it is coming into our conscious awareness. So by pattern, this could be a long-standing pattern in your personality, um, which is often karmic as well. So just some, one of your personal things, you know, and when we're about to really change it, it can become exaggerated. We can actually midwife this peak moment into transformation by just being as conscious as possible, noticing where we are out of alignment, noticing where we want to be dishonest or fall into some addictive tendency, noticing what choices we make. When we do all of these same things unconsciously, we might just continue on in the same way and accrue the same consequences and be in the same samsara. As soon as we bring awareness to it, it begins to change. 
Just like in quantum physics, there's some distinction between observed and unobserved phenomena as though particles know they are being observed. I think that the psyche's deep patterns also know. Um, and in my own playing and practicing with this, it's that compartmentalized piece and that stopping, kicking and screaming piece of seeing yourself doing the thing that you know that you do and that you don't wanna do anymore but you neutralize the charge around it and you just are with it and it passes. And it's harder for it to pass when one, we're not noticing it or two, we're noticing it and hating it and resisting it and just like being up in arms against it. Becoming more conscious of unconscious patterns is often facilitated by mapping tools like astrology, psychology, human design, tarot, to name a few. Of course, astrology is like my favorite over here. Sometimes these mapping tools have inherent limitations. Um, like personally, I take issue with the DSM and a lot of psychiatric and medical model thinking. Um, I see that the way that spiritual transformation is handled in that paradigm, uh, sometimes the unseen or the magical realm isn't actually given real understanding or space. It's easily pathologized or marginalized. So I wouldn't ally myself with that model of looking at reality um, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be well off in the way that I am in terms of my mental health and well-being and happiness if I allied myself with that school of thought, uh, just like straight up. Whereas learning things like astrology and different like magical principles and also, you know, deep psychological investigation as well, but through these contexts that hold the unseen and that aren't so patriarchal in nature, um, those tools or those maps work better for me. And this, you know, it's also worth saying that sometimes the way that we approach a map can create limitations. I see this in astrology when individuals use astrology to validate a sense of inner wrongness, like what's wrong with my chart or, you know, my charts like fucked up in this way, or I have this bad placement. Right. And it's one thing to locate a problem or a pattern that you have in your chart and find insight in that. It's another to then lock it up and that same kind of like, this is the way it is, complacency, it's done, uh, verdict, you know, guilty, fucked up, like that kind of condemning and squelching and depressing of energy that comes from applying a mental label to something and slamming it down. So consider the ways that you use mapping tools to understand consciousness and how these mapping tools are directed. Are you limiting yourself with these maps or are you creating more opportunities for yourself? And, you know, take care not to conflate the map with the limitation. Um, someone might have a hard time with astrology because they're using astrology to validate something negative about their lives. And then they just throw out astrology with the thing. Um, I find that a lot of maps have, you know, you interpret the map too. And sometimes the, inter the limitation is the map itself. Oftentimes it's the way that we use the map. So lots of things to think about there. Um, pretty open-ended because 
life is complex and I don't like to give one size fits all answers too much. April 3rd, 2021, Venus in 16 degrees of Aries will conjunct Ceres, the asteroid goddess, in 16 degrees of Aries at 8.57 a.m. Pacific. Now, I don't normally um, include the asteroid goddesses every week, but I'm actually teaching Ceres um, in an upcoming meteorite, the level two uh, training for alumni of the evolutionary astrology intensive series is up next. So she's really, um, at the forefront of my mind. So when I saw this transit, I had, I had thoughts and I had downloads. So let's consider the Venusian mysteries, understanding how to receive what we desire is not as simple as a one, two, three guide. It's not behave in this way or look this way externally and you'll achieve. These are interior magnetic mysteries. How the person who desires love finds a resonant partnership and disconnects themselves from that, you know, toxic pattern they keep playing out over and over again. Two, how a person who comes from little money finds their way into wealth. These our inner journeys in a lot of ways. The more I sit with people or spend time in groups of people doing personal development, love and money may as well be mystery schools. At this moment with Venus, Venus conjunct Ceres and Ceres relates to the myth of Demeter, Persephone and Hades relating to underworld journeys, grief, seasons of renewal and the mother daughter mysteries. So with Venus conjunct series, notice where you are at seasonally with your relationship to love and or money. Are you in winter? It's a little cold, contracted, things feel hard. Or are you in spring? You're starting to feel flirtatious and feel new life and new possibility. And winter, now I'm like getting this image in my mind of like, creating a nice fire and like you have all your resources and your canned foods and, you know, canned things from the last harvest. And you're just in like a cozy cabin with a lover partner, even that's like not a bad vision of winter, but the energy is still conserved a little bit. Right. Um, or are you lavishing in the abundance My notes just went away. So are you, or are you lavishing in the abundance of summer? Seasons teach us that everything comes with phases. And the more we experience ourselves coming in and out of phases and going around and around the seasonal circle of life, uh, the more we build trust in our own resiliency and magic, as well as trust in our descent. And if you believe in reincarnation like I do. And I don't even, it's interesting to call it a belief. Like it is just my experience. <laughs> it's not even like something that I just kind of like intellectually, whatever, but the idea that, um, you have all these kind of cycles in this life and then this life does eventually end. And then you incarnate again. And, you know, there's this spiralic kind of quality to life and there's something, I think comforting about that.
there's a wisdom, you know, in knowing when something is ending and letting it end and when something is beginning and like breathing life into it. And I think that we can resist the cycles that we're in by trying to stave them off or prolong what is happening or whatever, as opposed to feeling into the rhythm of our bodies and the rhythm of the truth that is moving through us um, and being with that. And I think that series relates to that journey, you know, the potential to really resist change, uh, resist the, the descent um, resist separation versus trusting and being with it. There may be a kindling spark of some inner willingness to make a choice. So Aries, we have Venus and Ceres and Aries. Or pursue, also Aries, what we desire. So make a choice or pursue what we desire and feeling that spark of like, oh yeah, I can do that. I forgot. I forgot that I have sovereignty or the capacity to make choices. We realize that this is going to be the year that we make a livable wage or that we hit a new income goal, whatever that is. We realize this is going to be the year that we make, that we open to connection or make new friends or find love. Though these mysteries, love and money, involve relationships with others and with the energetics of money or with economic systems, deciding we are going to enter into a relationship is a personal decision. It's a personal opening and a personal activation at that. In a gendered sense, there's a lot of conditioning and programming for men to be the pursuer in the pursuer role and for women to be in the receptive pursued role. And at extreme levels of distortion, because these things do get culturally distorted, it creates this kind of not taking for a no, not taking no for an answer kind of pushiness or a sense of like, well, I know you want it. I'm gonna keep being persistent. And of course, this style of courtship has undergone much cultural critique. But if you just look at movies from recent decades, that's kind of like the vibe, like, bro, you just got to keep trying like that energy. Um, it's been romanticized heavily. And then you also have the damsel consciousness, this save me energetic, rescue me from my tower, um, open me. And these types of consciousness, so both ends of the spectrum, can take us to dark places. Potentially, we may have learned a lot about our own shadow from this shadow dance, you know, what it's like to be not super direct about our desires and to kind of be like, have them come out sideways as a result. And likewise, finding a sense of renewal in our capacity to be more honest about our desire and skillful in the way that we pursue and make ourselves available for connection is also a possibility here. So I came into that meditation just thinking about series renewal and this like Venus and Aries energy and that lightness of like 
that fire in the heart of like, oh, I can go for what I want. I can name my desire in this situation. Perhaps we've been disappointed in the past by pursuing a desire. Um, we're being frank about what we want. Um, and maybe having an experience and having our heart broken or feeling like just not as empowered from how things played out, but to come back into that sense of self of like, I am the fire and I can make things happen. Um, and what it feels like to contact that inner kind of pluckiness of Aries when it comes to matters of the heart and perhaps also a kind of, um, a return of certain types of innocence where we've become jaded or overly conditioned by kind of toxic cultural dynamics. Then Mercury enters Aries at 8.41 p.m. Mercury's ingress into Aries ends the transit of Mercury in Pisces, which may relate to an experience of feeling more certain or clear about our ideas with Mercury and Aries than we did in the sea and the soup of Pisces. Mercury in Pisces is quite dreamy and poetic and can get overwhelmed by practical details. That's why I was talking about compartmentalization, which may help for the Mercury in Pisces sextile Pluto and Capricorn. Um, working with energetics, the energy body, the aura, and magical thinking can all be ways that Mercury in Pisces finds efficacy in the world. So I'm talking about like visualizing how something is going to go before it happens, deciding when you wake up in the morning that it's going to be a great day. Or if you have a job interview or something like that, creating an auric field around your concept of it in your mind where it's just glowing and um, divine, you know, miracles are streaming through. And whether or not you get the job, it's like something happens that's positive from that experience of creating a positive mental image about what is to come as opposed to autopilot, not so effective magic where you're using your anxiety and your fears to create images of what you don't want to happen. And then potentially having more of those kind of unfavorable experiences because of the self-fulfilling prophecy kind of quality. Um, it's not a direct input in and put out kind of thing. There's other factors in reality, but generally speaking, the more uh, that we cultivate, you know, our frequency or our thought forms or our perception um, and kind of clear out unnecessary anxiety, disempowered thinking, self-hatred, any of that kind of like damaging mental thought forms, then we can experience potentially like more miraculous things in this life. Um, so I think Mercury and Pisces, you know, people talk about it like it's a difficult placement or like it's debilitated in some way. And I think that um, it's actually quite a magical placement. And the tool that Mercury as a magician needs in Pisces is how to work with magic, how to understand where magic is already in operation. So all of this being said, Mercury is now going to enter Aries. <laughs> so this vibe is changing. This feeling of kind of being like in a misty seascape is going to become much more clear and direct. 
With Mercury and Pisces, our focus becomes more singular and less diffuse. And the element of fire, Aries, comes out where before there was water, Pisces. So less soaked in reverie and more charged by actionable ideas, Pitta. Maybe seeing yourself get a bunch of stuff done instead of just thinking or dreaming about it. Mercury and Aries people can be quite direct, and there's a certain charm and humor to how direct they are. This is a mercurial season of learning to be frank as fuck, yet let us not forget Aries is ruled by Mars and words can be weapons. Generally, there is some association with ideas, the air element and the swords in the tarot, um, which for me is a meditation on how the mind is already a force that cleaves and separates and cuts and has some capacity for violence. You know, it's a mental idea that creates separation. Um, We can have an idea about someone that makes us see them as an enemy when they might not be objectively, but we see it that way in our minds, right? So there's ways um, that the word can be damaging as well as it can be a positive tool. It's really, there's a neutrality with mercury. Um, there is a difference between swinging around a bat belligerently, that is one's words and consciousness, and knowing one's capacity for violence with their speech and treating that weapon with respect. The same way we might approach using knives in the kitchen, mindful, intentional, right? And sometimes we learn through experience. There is room to pivot, repair, and correct if needed. If we say something and realize afterwards, like, ooh, like I just kind of shot that out and I'm not digesting it very well, I'm going to go back and correct it, Um, even though it's not Mercury retrograde. um, Aries is really good at the bounce back. So mm, taking a leap, falling, brushing oneself up, trying again. And then on April 6th, 2021, Venus in 19 degrees of Aries will sextile Mars in 19 degrees of Gemini at 4.18 a.m. Pacific. So this energy, this Aries energy of directness only intensifies. We have Venus and Aries, a Mars-ruled sign, sextile, Mars. So this can emerge as conflict. So conflict becoming apparent or being addressed, as well as going for what one wants and verbalizing in a way that creates connection or action. This is the difference between being interested and making your interest known. Sometimes it is subtle or shown by action, which can leave room for interpretation. You're not sure how to read the signals. Um, Or sometimes something is directly named. Then it's clear. Feeling into the tension of the moment and the truth in your body, you may know what direction is most appropriate for you in terms of, you know, Venus's charms can be more subtle and flirtatious, but we're already looking at Venus in a Mars ruled sign, Venus sextile Mars. So I'm really getting the image of that electric tension that happens in a conversation where the thing that has been in the room that hasn't totally been named is named by someone. It's put on the table. There's a curiosity, there's an openness. And then there's all of this connection. There's all of this eros in that moment because something true has been named. It has been um, made, you know, visible out of the invisible. And there's a, there's a real fire to that. 
And I think that it also creates an opening um, for more honest communication. And we could, you know, really be working through patterns of inauthenticity or dishonesty. And we're learning how to be more um, representative of the truth. Or, you know, there's always deeper layers, right? Um, we're, we're spiralically evolving. Um, so there could be some development in your life where you're starting to feel that kind of creative tension of like, mm, something's going on here. What if I named it? Or what if I brought it to the table for a conversation? And that could be quite catalyzing this week. Thank you for listening or watching. Um, please, again, like this video or subscribe. And I also um, just want to plug again that, you know, new episode of Magic of the Spheres, uh, reading some chapters from the forthcoming book. Um, if you stick around here on YouTube, on my mailing list, on social media, you'll, and especially my mailing list, I don't know if I just said that already, um, you'll be in the know about all sorts of developments here, uh, classes, astrology readings, book, all this stuff. Thank you for sharing time with me and I hope that you have a magical week. Mm -hmm.